EMS billing is a science all of its own. One of the often misunderstood topics is when and how to properly bill for an ALS assessment. Today's Board and Caller podcast serves to educate all who listen on this space regarding when and how to bill for an ALS assessment. Today on the QMC Board and Caller. Welcome to the QMC Board and Caller news and thought-provoking discussions for today's emergency medical service provider. The Board and Collar podcast series is brought to you by QuickMed Claims, a national leader in emergency medical transportation revenue cycle management and reimbursement consulting. Now, your host for today's podcast, QMC's Director of Client Services, Gary Harvat. Because this subject of ALS assessment has so many facets, and has been kicked around so much by those of us who dissect all matters EMS on a regular basis. It doesn't surprise me when I read communication that is published by other authors that sometimes serves only to create more confusion on this subject. With so many different interpretations floating around, it is important that we take time to clarify for the listeners, our friends and clients, the correct application of the rules when billing Medicare. Please know this podcast is the product of many different persons that combine to provide our listeners with the most up-to-date educational information about EMS that we can provide. Each podcast that we release is as accurate as possible using the best collection of knowledge and interpretation that we can put together prior to our recording on this space. Not only do we rely on sources within our own organization, but we regularly network, communicate, and solicit input from other nationally known and trusted ambulance industry experts. Today, we are focusing on ALS assessment, and the definition is as outlined in the Code of Federal Regulations, 42 CFR 414.605. Now, there's a mouthful. And the definition is as follows. An advanced life support assessment is an assessment performed by an ALS crew as part of an emergency response that was necessary because the patient's reported condition at the time of dispatch was such that only an ALS crew was qualified to perform the assessment. An ALS assessment does not necessarily result in a determination that the patient requires an ALS level of service. The determination to respond emergently with an ALS ambulance must be in accord with the local 911 or equivalent service dispatch protocol. First and foremost, allow us to remind you that payers have issued different rules regarding billing for ALS assessment. Some payers will not pay for ALS assessment, while others have not addressed the subject at all. Before I go any further, I suggest to you that you determine what each insurance payer allows or disallows when it comes to billing for scenarios where the ALS provider arrives on the scene and provides an assessment, but no ALS interventions. In other words, no IVs, no monitor, no medications. For our purposes today, I'll primarily focus on what the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS, says and how these rules apply to the Medicare beneficiaries. This is important as Medicare and Medicare's HMOs typically account for a large percentage of an ambulance services payer mix. Just because Medicare pays for a properly documented and coded ALS assessment does not mean that a state's Medicaid program 
will pay using the same parameters. In addition, just because Medicare may pay for an ALS assessment, that does not mean that a commercial insurer will allow the payment based on the same criteria. Know who you're billing and bill accordingly, folks. There are several key areas which need to be thoroughly understood in order to properly bill for an ALS assessment. One of the best techniques to properly determine which transports qualify for ALS assessment coding is to first determine which transports already qualify for ALS level of reimbursement because an ALS intervention was performed. I suggest initial processing of a billable transport PCR by searching for any and all ALS interventions. Once an ALS intervention has been identified in the PCR, the transport should be properly classified as an emergency or non-emergency, and the proper ALS level of the HICPICS code can be assigned. In the event there are no ALS interventions documented, review the PCR and or dispatch records to determine if all of the following criteria have been met. One, the initial dispatch required an emergency response, and two, the dispatch center who handled the call stipulated that the patient's reported condition at the time of dispatch required an ALS level response based on approved dispatch protocols, and three, an ALS provider arrived on scene and conducted an ALS assessment, and four, the patient was transported to an approved destination such as a hospital, and five, the transport meets Medicare's reasonableness and medical necessity standards. Transports which meet all of the above criteria may be appropriately billed to Medicare as an ALS-1 emergency, even though no ALS interventions were provided. However, as outlined in the regulations, if the transport is dispatched as a non-emergency and or the dispatch center does not have approved protocols in place, which, at a minimum, designate which calls require ALS versus BLS, then the on-scene condition of the patient and treatment provided are the only determinants which can be used to assign the level of service provided. The Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services has made it quite clear that the dispatch protocols are one of the key requirements necessary in order to properly bill for an ALS assessment. First, ALS assessment billing can only be considered for emergency responses. Furthermore, the EMS organization must take steps necessary to respond immediately to that dispatch request. Next, the 911 or other dispatch center, which receives the call for medical assistance, must utilize a recognized dispatch protocol in order to consider billing for an ALS assessment. The dispatch protocol, at a minimum, must have parameters which allow the call taker to obtain information based on the patient's reported condition and determine if an ALS response is required. All of this must occur at the time of dispatch. If the patient's reported condition at the time of dispatch does not require an ALS level response in accordance with the dispatch protocol, then an ALS assessment cannot be used as the only basis for billing ALS-1 emergency to a Medicare payer. Let's assume that a call was dispatched by the 911 center and requires an ALS response in accordance with its dispatch protocols and an ALS provider arrives at the scene and performs an assessment of the patient. Let's assume that after the assessment, the ALS provider, with or without a consult from medical command, determines that no ALS interventions are required. 
The patient is eventually packaged and transported with BLS care to a local hospital for further evaluation and treatment. A well-documented PCR should then be drafted by the crew, which specifies at a minimum the name of the dispatch center, code or protocol which designated the call as ALS, and all the required and appropriate information about the specific details related to the response, assessment, treatment, transport, and transfer of the patient. Assuming that this transport meets Medicare's reasonableness and medical necessity standards, it can be appropriately billed to Medicare as an ALS-1 emergency, even though no ALS interventions were provided. Another version of the above scenario occurs in certain types of two-tiered EMS systems. Let's assume that an ALS provider responds in a separate unit, arrives on the scene, and performs a patient assessment. The ALS provider returns into service and does not accompany the transporting unit to the hospital. The ALS provider and the BLS transporting crew should both draft well-documented PCRs. The PCRs, at a minimum, the name of the dispatch center, the response priority code or protocol which designated the call as ALS and all other required and appropriate information about the specific details related to the response, the assessment, treatment, transport, and transfer of the patient. Assuming that the transport meets Medicare reasonableness and medical necessity standards, the transport can then be appropriately billed to Medicare as an ALS-1 emergency, even though no ALS interventions were provided and the ALS provider did not accompany the transporting unit. I know of EMS systems where there are no dispatch protocols separating ALS from BLS level responses. In these particular areas, the EMS system is alerted by a common request for ambulance response and it's quite possible that a fully staffed ALS ambulance may respond to every call for help. But remember, CMS long ago has made it clear that they will no longer pay all billed claims at an ALS level. Where no dispatch protocol is in place, ALS assessment cannot be used to bill Medicare when the assessment is the only reason to upgrade a call to an ALS-1 emergency, period. Keep in mind that if any of the following issues or statements are true, then ALS assessment cannot be used as the only means to justify ALS-1 emergency level billing. One, the initial dispatch did not require an emergency response, or two, the dispatch center does not utilize any type of dispatch protocols, or three, the dispatch center uses a protocol which is not in compliance with the definition outlined in the above cited CMS regulations, or four, the dispatch center does not designate which calls require an ALS level response based upon protocols in the patient's reported condition at the time of dispatch. Anyone who listens to these podcasts on a regular basis know that I constantly am reminding providers to document their runs clearly and concisely using an appropriate amount of detail in the written narrative. ALS assessment only scenarios should contain all the detail possible to explain, not just for billing reasons, why the ALS provider found it possible for him or her to release care to a lesser trained care provider. Always document the nature of dispatch in your written narrative. For instance, Station 40 dispatched via Anywhere County 911 for an ALS emergency. Male patient experienced chest pains with a past history of myocardial infarction. Medic 45 responded at the time noted on this report. 
Please notice in this example above, our documentation includes the agency dispatch, captures that a 911 center alerted for the emergency, and defined the initial report of the patient condition as provided by the 911 center. Our sample documentation also includes written verification that the responding agencies were notified that the 911 center followed protocol in alerting specifically for an ALS level response. Naturally, this documentation would tie together with written 911 protocols on file that the PSAP and hopefully with copies of said dispatch protocol maintained at the local ambulance station for verification in the event of an audit or post-payment review. It's important that the leadership of your organization educate all providers regarding these important parts of the process. Accurate communication is key to an effective ambulance billing program Patient care providers at all levels, along with the ambulance company administrators, supervisory staff, and most importantly, the billing team itself must be prepared and well-versed in sorting out these sometimes confusing scenarios. If that's not the case in your world, then maybe it's time for your organization to explore this subject further. I hope today's podcast was enlightening and informative. I wish you each a good day. My name is Gary Harvat. I'm the Director of Client Services. Should you need any further assistance, please don't hesitate in contacting me. I can be reached at clientservices at quickmedclaims.com. Again, thank you for attending. Have a great day. And hey, be safe out there.